Your company exploits children, children all across this country, not just in places like New York City or at a Super Bowl, places like Watford City, places like Minot, where we rescued a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old when their mothers discovered them on back pages. How in the world can we allow that to happen in our country? I'm Senator Heidi Heitkamp, and that was me at a U.S. Senate hearing on Backpage.com in January. A bipartisan group of senators came together at that hearing to take on the leadership of Backpage for the website role in facilitating human trafficking, a role that was very much confirmed by a Senate report showing executives deliberately crafted loopholes that enabled the trafficking of women, men, and children online. This is the first episode of my new podcast, The Hot Dish, where I'll bring North Dakotans and national leaders to serve up insights on some of my top priorities in the Senate, including this week, human trafficking. North Dakota is no stranger to this horrible crime. I'm excited to be joined today by Cindy McCain, a leader in the fight to end human trafficking both in our country and globally, and Kevin Wallivan, a North Dakota journalist who has been recognized with great awards for the work that he's done covering North Dakota's human trafficking problem. Cindy McCain is an international anti-human trafficking leader. Through her humanitarian work at the McCain Institute, she has become an absolute uh, treasure for not only our country, but for um, uh, children and women and victims across the world. She also has become a dear friend. In 2015, Cindy joined me in Western North Dakota to talk with local leaders, law enforcement, and victim advocates about combating human trafficking in our state. Thanks so much for joining me, Cindy. I wanted to kind of... Oh, you're so great. Um, and, and I want to start out by talking a little bit about Backpages, um, something that you and I talked about almost the first meeting. In fact, I think it probably was the first meeting that we ever had on trafficking. Um, I think people, people don't appreciate or understand how connected Backpages is to um, basically providing that format for selling children in our country. And um, I want just to, to offer you an opportunity from your perspective to talk about Backpages and talk about how we need to regulate this industry or control this industry if we're going to be successful. Well, I, first of all, I want to thank you for having me on and to remind the good folks in North Dakota how lucky they are to have you. You are such a great advocate for all of your folks in North Dakota and and uh, the Senate is lucky to have you as well, so thank you. Um, uh, Backpage, gosh, is, Backpage, uh, as you and I both know, and, I, and what, what I hope your listeners find out about, is just how uh, epidemic the sale of children is with regards to Backpage.com and other um, When the Communications Decency Act was written, which, as you know, controls and, and designs what's what's fair and, and correct and decent to air on, on waves and things. Um, it, it didn't have in mind the, the ability to sell children directly to people on the Internet because the Internet didn't exist. 
and so uh, so what we are dealing with here are are men that own this uh, organization that think nothing of absconding from everything, uh, uh, running from the law, and have been defended by it. Uh, so so what, what you and I have worked on and what other people are beginning to work on as well is not only the understanding of how tragically desperate this is, but the, also the understanding about how we have to stop it. And we can get into the credit card companies and Bitcoin and all the other, the other entities. But most importantly, the first and foremost is we've got to shut Backpage and every other online saleability for children down completely. Yeah. You know what I always tell people? If, if this were the old days when people had to stand at the street corner, then we could see, oh, my God, that's a child. We cannot let that happen. And, and, and it was so visible and open. I mean, everybody knew what that, those areas were of the city where that would happen. Now it's completely invisible, and it allows some kind of mask of, uh, of anonymity to people who buy children. I mean, the, the story that I tell, Cindy, is uh, Dickinson, North Dakota, which you were with me um, in, in that community. So Dickinson, North Dakota, does a sting um, using back pages, advertises a 14-year-old. By, they had expected it would be a, you know, like an evening thing. They had to shut down the sting after only two hours because there were so many people arrested. And they had two people calling asking for 12-year-olds or younger. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and so it's, it's, it's that invisibility for the, the perpetrator that we don't talk enough about, which are these people out there who would actually buy children. Well, and which makes it very hard to describe to, to other people that are trying to become active on this issue. Uh, when you can't see it, you can't touch it, you can't hear it, uh, it is invisible. And, and it's tended all too often to be described as a victimless crime. Now, all of us know that that is not the case. This is child abuse in its worst form. It is epidemic. And most importantly, the people that are, that are, are, are perpetrating and hurting these children should be treated for what they are, child abusers and, and felony criminals. Absolutely. And unfortunately, the laws are not necessarily uh, in favor of that all across the United States. Now, legislation is strengthening on this, but we still have a ways to go in some states. But you know, and, and you sat in that that room, that hearing room, when we we had the opportunity to attempt to um, uh, ask questions of the principals and back pages, and it wasn't just the the kind of awareness of what these people do and how they make their living. It was how smug they were how absolutely confident they were that nobody could touch them and knowing exactly what they did, which was scrub the advertisements so they would pass the filters and they could say, oh, well, we've got these filters that prevent this from happening when we know that they purposely ad advise people how to scrub the, the ad. It's just horrible. Yeah. Uh, if, can, if I can transition to your international work, which I think um, – has really been such a godsend to activists and people across the country or across the world who look to you as a leader and know that you're there in their corner. What do you see as kind of the next step to spread awareness and to um, uh, continue the work that you've done in our country and make that work global? Well, of course, taking the back page argument uh, around the world and, and making uh, making governments 
and countries alike understand that children are being sold online. Now, with that said, how do you do this in countries where, in many cases, it's acceptable, and many cases, it's uh, it's people just turn their back or, and and do what I hate to hear, which is the boys will be boys argument. Um, one of the areas that I'm working in right now is is sex trafficking, human trafficking, and re- with regards to to sport, sports around the world, uh, leagues, children's leagues of soccer that are that are, that are not really children's league, leagues of soccer. They're being trafficked right out of this, these uh, tragic environments that they live in, these desperate environments, and instead of going to a team that they thought they were going to, they're trafficked for sex. Um, again, awareness, training and awareness, training and awareness, and, and these are the most important things. And social media is a big help with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we can it's used for bad things like Backpage, but it also can be very helpful in the arena of trying to stop human trafficking. You know, I'm reminded of the trip that we took to Mexico where we heard reports from the principals there, the investigators there, that there were regions where this has gone on for generations where family members will sell their young daughters or their nieces and and that that changing that culture and making sure that we create an international human rights standard that says i don't care if you've done it for generations it is wrong and it's offensive to the world and we're going to do everything we can to stop it well and applying i think applying uh methods of uh, of stopping it, the, maybe maybe somehow restricting the aid that goes in if countries are still participating in this, um, being much firmer. I mean, right now, we're, we, in many cases, we are removing bad behavior in these countries. We're funding many of the projects that actually sell children inadvertently, of course, but, but funding it. Um, I think we have to, in my opinion, have to take a long look at just where, where money goes, how it's used in many of these and what we should be doing to help stop this. It is so insidious, and it absolutely requires a consistent and, uh, and I think, um, a loud message. Uh, but I want to talk kind of finally on um, what happens when you see economic or um, migration driven by violence in home areas when you see a lot of women and children traveling alone a lot of um, uh, you know potential for victimization as we look at the refugee crisis across the world, whether it's in Central America or whether it is in fact in in uh, in Syria. I mean, how do we really get at that problem where so many of these uh, potential victims and real victims have become so faceless and nameless, kind of going forward? Oh, you know. Uh once it's occurring, and, and I'll use the Syrian crisis for, for a perfect example of this, and also the unaccompanied minors that came over and still are coming over our southern border in great quantities, um, is, of course, stopping it before it comes. And I don't, by that, I'm not saying close borders. What I'm saying is economic empowerment, uh, you know, it's, making sure that women's rights are firm and strong in the region that they're in. Now, a lot of it can't be helped when certainly a war and, and a crisis breaks out like this. Uh, but more importantly, what we do once they're in the pipeline, because these are people at their most vulnerable. They're absolutely most vulnerable. And these, these traffickers and these pedophiles and everybody else are preying on these people to such a great extent, and there's no way out. 
Yeah. So not training our NGOs, training our, our border patrol, for one thing, training everyone uh, that is involved in one way, shape, or form on this issue that deal with refugees and are helping to, to hopefully uh, take care of them. Um, it's a huge problem, and we're, we're barely scratching the surface on it. Well, it, 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 there is so much work to do. Before we close out, I want um, you to just talk a little bit about um, how we're not just focused on sex trafficking, but we're also looking at labor trafficking and the work that you're doing with the Howard Buffett Foundation um, uh, at the McCain Institute to address labor trafficking as well, Cindy. Well, as you know, uh, tra- as you just said, trafficking is not just sex trafficking, it is labor trafficking. What we uh, you know, are attempting to do and beginning to do at, our, at the McCain Institute is, is attack this from a prosecutorial standpoint. In other words, the ability to be able to prosecute the traffickers uh, in this, it, our, our ability to be able to, to find them, number one, and number two, to be able to prosecute them. Uh, this takes a combination of things, law enforcement, NGOs, uh, people that are specifically, uh, you know, working within the arena. And we're beginning this work in Texas right now because there's a huge problem along the border, as you know, in Texas right now uh, on this. It is multifaceted and it's also very complex, as said, but so necessary because 73% of all trafficking is labor trafficking in the world. Yeah, and and you know when we need to make sure that that when we're talking about trafficking, we also include the word slavery because that's what this is. I mean, we thought we eradicated slavery in our country. I am convinced, Cindy, that um, in the heyday of the Bakken, when we were so short of labor, that there were la- there's there was labor trafficking. There probably still is that that was invisible because we didn't know how to see it and we didn't know how to prosecute it. So I am really looking forward to the good work that you're doing in Texas and and taking that next step nationally to talk about labor trafficking and to educate prosecutors and to educate investigators on how to create the cases because, um, you know, deterrence is a huge thing, um, but you don't have deterrence without without, uh, actual investigation and prosecution. Exactly, exactly. Well, Cindy, I look forward to seeing you again. I look forward to continuing our work together. And thank you so much for being the inspiration that you are for all of us um, as you do your work across the globe. Thank you very much. Thanks, Cindy. Take care. We'll see you later. Kevin Wallivan is an award-winning journalist in WDAY-TV in Fargo, and in 2015 he produced an outstanding and award-winning documentary called Trafficked, which covers human trafficking across the Dakotas and Minnesota. Um, thanks so much, Kevin, for taking time to talk to me about your reporting and about this uh, horrible, horrible uh, situation throughout the world and certainly in our state of North Dakota. Um, you know, when, when you started out, you spent months covering human trafficking for your 2015 documentary. Um, what led you to the story, and really what surprised you over the course of your reporting? Well, happy to be here and, and, and thrilled to uh, join you with in, in this, Senator. And one thing that we saw on the eastern part of the state is some of the, the nonprofits and these agencies that were dealing with 
uh, domestic violence, we're starting to see uh, women who were being trafficked in the western part of the state. And they were showing up uh, on the streets of Fargo. They were showing up at shelters here. And I think that sparked agencies and people like yourself to start having the conversation. And that's when we started seeing some of the conferences and some of the networking that you were a part of, trying to bring these agencies together to uh, you know, try to get a handle on this. What, because uh, the reservations, that, that was a perfect example. They, they said it was like a freight train came um, through because they weren't prepared for it and no one was prepared for it. And so I think by bringing people together and getting everyone on the same page, then you could kind of come up with a plan. And, and in the end, that's what it took. I mean, it took months to get everyone uh, on board, as you know, because you were part of it. But um, now I think there's, there's a plan in place. There's a way to try to navigate survivors so that um, they have um, a place to go and that law enforcement and social services can work with them right on the front end rather than saying, um, all right, uh, we've got the bad guy. You can go ahead and leave now. Yeah. I think a brave face of this story is one that you and I both have met, and that's Danielle John, um, yeah, obviously a victim of human trafficking um, that your study or your story originally covered. Um, over the years, when you've visited with Danielle, um, did she teach you anything um, uh, that was unexpected? Or did yes. you get it? Yeah. I mean, what? I, I tell you what, there's some. That's an amazing story because I think a lot of us think once um, someone is out of trafficking um, and they become a survivor of that, that that's it, that they're good. But there's so much that goes along with that. And Danielle was a clear example. She needed to get into treatment and needed to get into recovery because so many of these young women who are trafficked, um, you know, they are fed drugs, so they're addicted, so they have to deal with the addiction once they're out. And then recovery takes such a long time. And then many of them are also dealing with anxiety and depression issues from being trafficked. So this is, this is not over in a few weeks or a few months. This is, um, and I'm doing an addiction documentary right now. Good for you. And this is ongoing. This is a lifelong step. I mean, it's ongoing. So people like Danielle are always in recovery from what they went through. You, you know, the other piece of Danielle's story is that even if she uh, recovered uh, as a matter of mental health, she has a record. And right. so, you know, when, when the agencies would want to employ her and, and the federal rule says if you're operating under a federal grant, you can't employ anyone who has a um, felony conviction. You know, right away, all of these victims are re-victimized by a system exactly. that doesn't recognize them as victims and instead recognize them as perpetrators. And it's interesting because Danielle is in school trying to become a social worker. She wants to work with, with victims of trafficking and those who are out of it and are survivors. But yet you have something like red tape standing in the way. And I, I, I hope for her sake... Uh, that can be broken, and then she can get into what she wants to do. Yeah, I, I, I want to make the point that just as, as recently as this week, 
she um, basically testified in front of the committee because all of the hard work that Kevin you were talking about on the front end is now being questioned again because of budget cuts in the legislature and I know that the advocacy groups are there and I know you're there covering those stories making sure that we continue to build out the resources that we need to help people recover from being victims of this horrible crime. And it's great the community response senator has been awesome. People know of her story. She's been um, a sought-after speaker to groups. There's many, um, and you won't be surprised by this, but a, a lot of uh, women's groups here in the upper Midwest, North Dakota and Minnesota, who are now on board to fight trafficking and raising money and having conferences. So with these you know, small little country churches up here in the prairie that are getting behind this effort, which I think is great. Yeah, one of the things that I've been doing is is talking more to victims, saying what are the impediments to recovery and what do we need to do to get um, early detection. During the hearing on uh, Backpage that we just did, right. I, asked, I asked one of the moms, what could we have done differently? And um, she said, we need greater intervention in medical facilities, which fits really well with the bill that um, Susan Collins and I introduced called SOAR, which helps train uh, emergency room and uh, uh, medical personnel to try and identify this and help rescue women as well. I think people are surprised, Kevin, that you know when when uh, we talk about this, that trafficking actually happens in a state like North Dakota. That that it's something that um, we continue to work on. I you know, and I think that for me, that's been one of the um, one of the impediments. And and it's so critical that people like you continue to tell the story because people just don't want to see it. It's so horrific. They don't want to think or believe that it happens in their backyard. And I think you've seen that at some of your hearings and some of your field hearings out here. I mean, jaws are on the floor when, when, when people start hearing about the numbers and that women are being uh, trafficked not only from the reservations but as far, as far away as Ukraine, as yeah. what we saw out in the western part of the state at the height of the boom. But um, as you know, just because it has slowed down out there doesn't mean um, that it has stopped. I mean, supply-demand is a big thing, but by no means has the trafficking ended there. Well, and, and these traffickers found a market. Exactly. And it, that doesn't mean the market went away. And, you know, it was interesting. I was in Watford City with Cindy, with Cindy McCain, and um, uh, we were talking about this issue, and there were a couple of civic leaders there, and they were just kind of rolling their eyes, and you could tell they didn't oh. believe it until the police chief said he checked on back pages, and there were 20 offers for commercial sex in Watford City that day. Right. And, and It can be 11 o'clock in the morning. Right. We saw the same thing in Williston. There was, yeah. I think, 25 or 30 at 11 o'clock in the morning. And, and, and you should have seen the eyes of these civic leaders. And, and so the more, I just want to applaud you because the more we can tell the story, the more we can do all the things that we're doing. And I look forward to talking to you about your addiction documentary. It's, a, it's an epidemic in this country, but an epidemic in North Dakota as well. And, you know, we're, I would love an opportunity to talk to you about how we tackle that addiction. There's a whole lot of rethinking old kind of uh, norms about addiction, but exactly. this, is, this is all tied into this problem of trafficking. I look forward to talking to you about it because it's significant and it's really impacting this part of the country. Well, and, and it's not simple. I mean, the old 12-step yeah. program or the old, you know, uh, this, right. is, this is what you do. I always tell people it's easy for people to get sober. They probably wake up sober every day. It's hard to keep people sober. Right. And, There's and, a lot of layers to it. Yeah.
Yep, and it's just getting more and more complicated with the access to, uh, to so many of these new drugs. But it's all linked into, um, uh, as you said, uh, the addiction that these women experience, these, these victims of trafficking experience. And so um, it's a continuation of the great work that you did in trafficking. And Kevin, you're a wonderful asset to North Dakota. I'm proud to know you, and I'm proud of the work that you do. It's fun to show you off. Well, thank you so much, and happy to join you. I'm Senator Heidi Heitkamp. Thanks for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this week's helping of the hot dish.